to episode 63 of this one can talk about anything i'm your host melanie with two l's because the spelling of your name doesn't change from one week to the next i hope you all had a great week um you're probably expecting me to get on here and talk about football and uh, my disdain for <laughs> for oscar nominations but we're not going to do that this week we can talk about super bowl predictions and my disdain for oscar nominations next week. Before we get into this, I just want to say, um, for those of you who have been listening for a couple weeks, you already know, but if you're new, um, excuse me, I'm still recovering from something known as long COVID, which is COVID, but lasts longer. <laughs> um, so get your shots and your boosters and all that. But anyway, um, so if you hear me, you know, sneezing or having to clear my nose out or whatever. That's why I'm not trying to be impolite. It's just happening. And I'm trying to get these podcasts out because I enjoy doing them and I get such beautiful feedback from you guys. So um, I want to get them done regardless of my ailments. I'm trying to push through here. So I have a guest for you. It is not the guest that you're expecting, although we are working on that. I have a really special guest this week. Um, his name is Tom Dieri, and he's kind of a really incredible person. So let me give you a little bit of background information. Tom Dieri is the founder of Rising Tide Car Wash, which is located in Florida. They have three locations um, and their employees, 80% of them are people with autism, which is kind of a beautiful thing considering people with autism have a really difficult time finding meaningful employment. So that's basically what Rising Tide Car Wash was created for. Was it originally created for um, Tom's lovely, charismatic, so much personality brother, Andrew. But I'm going to let Tom tell you more about that during the interview instead of me giving a long introduction. Um, Tom also is the author of a book called The Power of Potential, which is a book that can help elevate any business, but also encourages people to build more social enterprises around people with autism who are completely capable of holding down a plethora of different jobs, but are simply not given the opportunity. So with that said, I am going to throw to the interview because I do think Tom explains it so much better than me. This is not my wheelhouse, but when, you know, um, they reached out to me, I was like, absolutely. This is a conversation that needs to be heard by as many people as possible. So I couldn't say no. Um, and I was excited about it. I even read the book, the night before, like I just crammed it like I was high school exams or something. So uh, I'm going to let him explain everything because it just makes so much more sense when he does. But this is really interesting topic and something that I think is important for all of us to to learn more about. So let's get into it. So can you introduce yourself? Because most of my listeners probably don't know who you are, but that's sure. okay. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Tom Dieri, and I am the COO of Rising Tide Car Wash, which is a, an organization my family founded to employ people with autism and specifically my brother. I read the book very quickly because it was sent to me last night, The Power of Potential, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. got that right. So you're the author. And I read all about your brother, and then I felt like I, I, I wanted to know who he was. So I hopped on on YouTube, and I just looked up some videos and I yeah. saw you guys on there and I saw all like a bunch of your employees and they all just seem like very interesting and cool individuals. They are. They are. They're, they're really wonderful group of people who are the reason our business is successful, plain and simple. 
And your brother made me laugh because they asked him something, a question about the, what was the worst part of his job? And he was like, I have to get up in the morning and it's yeah. very exhausting. And I was yeah. like, like, I have insomnia. So I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> He's very honest. He recently we did another interview together and he, um, they asked him what his favorite part of work was. And he was like, clock it out. <laughs> so, yeah. How long has he been working at the car wash? Uh, pretty much since the beginning. We we opened the first location in April of 2012. And then my, my father and I opened the location at that point. And then my, my mom and brother moved down in July of that year. Nice. It, it's a really beautiful like story. Because I actually went to school with... Uh, someone who had autism and he was like the sweetest person you could ever want to meet in your life but people were scared of him it was like seventh grade and they were terrified of him because he didn't really know how to communicate necessarily the same way as as everyone else but he was just like the sweetest person and I remember specifically we went to like there was a school dance and everybody gets to go and nobody wanted to dance with him and I was like come on like you can dance with me I don't care and our teacher did like this whole class to tell us that he was smart, but he would only be able to do a job like where he would have to do the same thing over and over mm -hmm. again. And I thought that like thinking back on it now that I'm not in seventh grade, I think that's not necessarily true. And I think that's super limiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th I mean, I think there's a lot of stereotypes around, you know, the, the jobs people with autism can hold and I think early on we we believed a lot of those stereotypes, things like that that needing to have a, like routine uh, tasks, uh, detail orientation, and while certainly that works really well for some people with autism, that's definitely not everyone. And, and I think the more and more that that we get to experience, and the more people we get to employ and and, and meet, the the more obvious it is that there's a group of individuals with autism somewhere in you know somewhere out there that will be really good at any job it's there you know what we need is organizations that are are gonna build um you know systems and culture that are really clear results oriented focused on developing people uh and inclusive and and then when you do those things there's probably a group of people with autism that will be really great employees well, it seems like there are a lot of really great employees within your organization. As I said, I did read the book and I enjoyed like the the personal stories that you shared about the different employees, mm -hmm. like the young man, Jay, who was like so hard to train initially. Mm -hmm. But then when he started singing and dancing, yeah. he turned into like a whole other person. Yeah. So, so many of our team members come to us with a really low opinion of what they'll be able to do with their lives. Um, they've been told either directly or just implicitly that, you know, they're not, they're not really going to be able to do much and they're, you know, they have a lot of challenges and, you know, what we find with our team members is once they start with us and once they start to, you know, earn money, earn tips, see that they do good work, get, you know, appreciation from their team and their customers, it really starts to open them up. They start to believe that there could be a future for them. And maybe that's with us, or maybe that's a, a job that's more aligned with what they want to do with their careers. But it, it tends to overwhelmingly be uh, that a really, um, a really big confidence booster when they when they start to work.
Well, yeah, I think that's true for anyone. Like if you sit yeah. on your couch long enough, you will be like, why am I, why am I here? So exactly. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's not, it's definitely not specific to that, to that group because there's the autism spectrum is like a huge right. thing. And like, I've met people who have it and are like, they speak like 10 languages. Like I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's very, very limiting. And reading the book, I realized just how, like you, you mentioned in there, that society is more damaging to people who have autism than the autism itself. And I didn't know that. See, I learned. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's you know, when I say that and, and when we talk about that type of thing is so much of the challenges, so many of the challenges that uh, our team faces, they you know, are, are really rubbing up against uh, culture or systems that are simply not designed with them in mind, right? We, we have a certain way of interacting socially that is, is simply different than the way many people with autism want to interact socially. You, know, you, you and I may really value things like eye contact, may use a lot of language that is, you know, we're kind of sidestepping what we really mean by, use, by, by using metaphor or uh, you know, a lot of story to try to get things across where many people with autism are a lot more direct in their language. And, you know, that, you know, imagine most of the people that you're supposed to interact with over the course of your life, just like not really understanding how you, you know, how you communicate it and just thinking that writing you off and saying that you have, they have a disability, there's something wrong with them where I don't really think that's true for the most part. I mean, especially for the, the group of individuals with autism that that don't have intellectual disabilities, which is about half of the autism spectrum have no intellectual disabilities. And then another third have a, just have a mild intellectual disability. You know, it's really just a part of, you know, humanity that we haven't, um, we haven't fully accepted yet. And I think there's some really interesting people doing amazing work that are starting to starting to make that a little bit more apparent. Yeah, my favorite, this is so silly, but my favorite part of the whole book is when you mention that your brother likes to quote movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because believe it or not, I do this too, because like I'm an actor. So by nature, I'm like, I live in the movies basically. Mm -hmm. And when I watch one, I don't even notice it. And then I'll be talking to someone and I'll just repeat something that I heard in a movie and they'll look at me kind of strange. Like once I was mad at someone, and I don't know if you've seen the wild one with Marlon Brando, but there's a scene where he says to the girl, you think you're too good for me? Nobody's too good for me. Anybody who thinks they're too good for me, I'll, I'll knock them over sometime. And I was like, I said that to someone. And then they were like, what? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> nothing. So I, I, I just thought that was so sweet that he's, because a lot of actors can't do that. They can't learn their own lines. And your brother's just like firing them off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, something that's very soothing for him. When he gets when he gets stressed, that's like kind of where he goes. And you know, he when he was young, that 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 won him a bunch of friends, people who you know, kids who who thought it was really cool, and uh, ended up being friends for for throughout all of high school for him. Watched out for him as he got older too, which was really great. And you know, yeah, I mean, it's still he still does it, so it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> it is really cool, and it's also really touching because a lot of people, especially my friends, they don't see like how difficult the line of work of an actor is and they don't see the value in it they just want to go watch mm. something blow up and they don't realize like there are some stories that are very 
like you're telling an, a, the truth like this movie came out recently it's called the fablemans and it's a beautiful film and it's a true story that steven spielberg is telling and that's not easy so i love that your brother just watches everything and he kind of pick and chooses what mm-hmm. he feels applies to him it makes me feel like yeah. our job is more maybe more valuable than we think it is yeah for sure i mean and it's something that he, I mean, he just loves, right? He loves watching. He watches a, a lot of the same movies over and over because he just really likes them. I do that too. And my <laughs> mom will be like, how can you watch this same thing? Like, like I watched Spider-Man, the new one, yeah. like six, six times. And my mom was like, why, why? And I'm like, because I like Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, a lot of movies can provide comfort because when I was struggling, you mentioned in the book that some of your employees struggle with like depression when I was struggling with depression I watched like Robert De Niro movies all the time because I would watch him like killing people and it was like he was killing whatever was Mm. hurting me at that time so I totally get why he like dives into the movies and I'm glad he does that I'm glad that there's something there to I guess encourage him and I loved the story about cars like all of that is just so (laughs) precious to me but your book is about creating like a business and not necessarily specific to anyone who has who has autism or who is neurodivergent. Yeah, yeah. So um, the premise behind the book is that by by building our organization, which employs people with autism for 80% of our staff, it created a really interesting lens for us to look at business through. It, it helped us uh, and our team members with autism really helped us uh, identify problems that generally go unaddressed in organizations, but that we had to address because they were really going to hold our team back. Uh, things like uh, the way that we currently hire, uh, uh, you know, most organizations use like unstructured interviews, which are essentially like a, a social test of getting to know each other. And, you know, if, if, if we like each other, then great, like you get hired, even though there's not a lot of uh, concrete information about that person's ability to do the task that you're hiring for coming out of that, that interview. Right. So that was one of the first things we had to, had to really look at the way that we try to drive ambiguity out of our organization, consistently build clarity into everything that we do. A lot of people struggle with role ambiguity. It creates a lot lot of inefficiencies in in organizations and our team frankly can't, you know, this doesn't work well when, when, when that's there. So we had to really address that, um, you know, having managers who really care about their team, who are compassionate, who are, are there in service of their team members. We all know that the research shows that, that those are the best leaders in general, but it's often hard for, for leaders, especially new and inexperienced leaders to really act in service to their team. It's much easier to, to, to kind of use your authority to, to tell people what to do. And again, doesn't work with our team. Had to kind of make that take that approach uh, of service, and and then you know when our team members are struggling, instead of doing the easy thing, which is writing them off as incompetent or saying that you know I just need to get someone else to do this. This person can't do this. Really standing in there with them, trying to understand their perspective, why they're struggling with something, and then using that as an opportunity to to make the business better by redesigning a system so it works not just better for, you know, your, your best employees, but works better for your entire team. So when you design around someone who is struggling, you often 
end up with a solution that just works better for everybody. So like all of these things that we learned, they, like we learned them through working with people with autism, but they're applicable to a whole host of organizations. And of course, um, one of the main reasons we wrote the book was because we want uh, other companies to employ people with autism and, and, and employ neurodivergent people. But it's also, we feel really valuable to so many organizations that are really struggling to find great employees and differentiate themselves in a crowded marketplace. So, you know, I, I genuinely believe, obviously I'm quite biased myself, but um, I really believe that, that there's a, a real match here for both uh, a lot of people with autism that aren't getting opportunities for work, as well as for a lot of businesses that are struggling to uh, really stand out and, and have the type of success that they wanted to have when they were founded. Right. And I think that's kind of bang on because in any job, like it's dangerous to get to assume that somebody can't do anything just because they can't do like one thing. For mm. example, when I was young, I used to work in a fast food restaurant and I never figured out how to wrap the burgers. I never figured it out but I could do everything else. I just couldn't do that right. one thing. So imagine someone saying like, you shouldn't have a job because you can't, you can't wrap a sandwich. Like that mm. would be, that's not right. So I agree with, with you on that. And also how you talk about, like, we go for an interview and it's always the same questions. Right. How do you, how do you, how do you weed out like the employees that are best for you and worse for you when you're asking people the same thing all the time, because it's nobody's one size fits all. Right. And I mean, that's, that's the thing is good, good interviews. They can have set questions, but they need to be tailored to the actual role instead of them just being like these generic boilerplate questions that we've probably been asked on interviews. And that's where we're getting them from. Or we just like did a Google search and found interview questions. <laughs> that happens more often than you would think. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's tailor-made, right. And, and, you know, I love your point about the burger wrapper because we do that all of the time, right? That that happens and in, in not just in in the hiring process or, or even just with, with employees, but in, in life in general. We see somebody do something that, you know, they they stunk at something. We we immediately our our brains start to generalize that to everything else about them, even though it's it's probably not or it's 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 most likely not true. It, it's that whatever this particular skill is not their thing. You could watch them do something else and be like amazed at how, how good they are, but that's not how we're wired. Our brains want to make quick decisions about people. They want to quickly size them up and then try to hold on to that initial, um, th that, that initial way of thinking about a person because that's easier for our brains to do. And we have to actively fight against that. I think it's especially true when you're young, because when, I mean, I'm not old, but when I was in high school, I was really good at English and I would go to English class and people who, you know, couldn't read as quickly as I could or whatever, I would be like, well, you're just dumb. And that wasn't true because when I joined like an auto mechanics class, they were so good at it. And then mm. I'm standing there and I'm like, I need to quit because I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I did end up quitting that class because I had no idea what I was doing. And then the teacher said, when you're changing the tire, be careful not to cut your finger off. And I was like, bye, I need all my <laughs> fingers. So yeah, it is true. We do make so many assumptions about people. But you said something in your book that I love. 
And it's that like people think average isn't good enough, which is probably true. And then you said, but nobody is actually average. Right. And that's, I've, I've never heard anyone say that. And I love it because I always say like, I wasn't born to be average. Like I don't want to do average things. Yeah. And then people look at you like you're being rude to them or something. But if they could only see that they themselves are not average, how many bigger things yeah. would they do? It's such an interesting line of thinking. There's So there, there's an author, his name is Todd Rose. And he wrote a book called The End of Average. And and it kind of goes into a lot of these things in, in depth. But what I find so so marked about his research, and, and, it, and it really makes sense when you when you think about it, is that we make in this, you know, an average, you know, man is five foot 11 inches or whatever. And they have an average arm length of, of X, Y, and Z, an average IQ. But the amount of people that, that meet all of those actual average criteria, it's it, they're virtually no one. It's virtually no one is actually meeting that, that average person. That person doesn't actually exist. And like you said, you can, you can think about that in, in a million different ways. You can think about it in the way that, that we design things for, for people, but we can also think about it in the way that we look at, at ourselves as individuals. Because like you said, no one is average. And when we try to take this approach to like just kind of going with, with, with the flow and doing you know, a quote unquote average job, we're certainly selling ourselves short. Definitely. I mean, this whole book has a lot of really just like things that do apply to, I think, everyone in general. And I think it's really cool that it's so inclusive. And it, you could, I mean, it makes me feel like I understand people with autism better than I, than I previously understood mm. them. And I really try to understand people like all the time because I'm so often misunderstood. Like you wrote in your book that people get fired for being too much. If I had a dollar, or every time somebody <laughs> said to me, you're too much, I would be a billionaire. Like, <laughs> And believe it or not, you're talking about average IQs and whatnot. Having a high IQ can actually be such a detriment because I have a high IQ, unfortunately, and I get bored really easily. Mm. So when I was in like second grade, I told my mom, well, she has ADD. And my mom started giving me the pills. And then all of a sudden I was like a zombie. Mm. And my doctor was like, no, she doesn't have it. She's just bored. Right. And they yeah. don't like educators don't consider that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's something to needing to struggle. And when we, when we're not putting ourselves in a position of, of growth, we end up just like saying, check, checking out. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people try to tend towards complacency, especially as we get, you know, we become adults, it's easier, easier to kind of get complacent. And, you know, we really, at least, in, in our organization and, and certainly in my life, um, my, personally, really trying to always push people to, to be their best and to grow and, and continue to to move up, whether it be with us as a company or, or, you know, going somewhere else. But we really want, you know, it's a very, we really try to intentionally uh, get people to to move forward. And, and that can be uncomfortable. And people, you know, in our organization, and people who have left us in in some cases, uh, they don't really like that, right? Because it, it it is you're you're pushing people outside of their comfort zone inherently, and you know it's it, it can be hard. But you know that's really that's why we exist is to to help people really do that, and it's it's a lot of fun. It sounds like it. Uh, pushing people seems to be working out for you and teaching you know people that they're so much 
there's so much more possible for them than they thought. Like the young man, I think his name was Robert mm-hmm. that you mentioned who came in and it was just like, I don't think this is going to work. And then all of a sudden he just blossomed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so many of our team members, you know, they, they come in and at first glance, you'd be like, there's no way this person can, could do this. There's no way this person could be a supervisor or handle a, a challenging customer situation. And yet over and over they do, it just takes, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of extra time. And I think there's not, not just in our organization, but there's some interesting research at other companies that are employing people with autism that show that, yeah, there, there is, there is more upfront training needed. However, that pays back tenfold over the course of the person's employment because they tend to stay longer. They tend to like, you know, be more engaged with the roles that they're in. They, they tend to, you know, many of them tend to have uh, wanting for some routine and some structure in their lives and, and work can give that to us. So there's a, a really, really nice payoff in, in so many ways to put in that upfront effort that you need to. I saw one of your supervisors on the, on the internet. It was, I think it was CBC, the national, and he mm. had so much charisma and he seemed mm. really proud of, oh, of yeah. his job. Does he so, still work yeah. there? On the CB? Uh, I'm not, I, I don't know who you're talking about specifically. I, don't, I, I didn't say the <laughs> name. He was just very happy and mostly just said your name and then Andrew's name. Okay. Well, um, so we've had like some of our supervisors have moved on. Uh, and gotten like jobs in other organizations, but a lot of our team members stay with us for for a long time. We've had uh, people with us from day one still. So we had, I think, about 35 employees that started with us in 2012, and a third of them are still here, which I don't think is very, very normal for a uh, for like this type of you know frontline retail service type job. No, because those jobs are like such a headache usually. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the case here, but having worked in retail, the managers are almost always on a power trip Mm, and they make you feel really small. And then you're like, I'm not going into work tomorrow. And and I've done that. I've been like, no, I quit because I'm not going to get bossed around. So yeah, well, I mean, that's what inexperienced managers do. They, they use their authority to, to get people to do what they want them to do where good managers, you know, build relationships are there to help their people grow. And, you know, they may still be directive sometimes and, and like need, you know, say like, this is what I need you to do, but there's that, that building of the relationship and that positive intent that makes people want to follow them. I will say though, that that is almost every new manager makes that mistake. So it's, it's gotta be taught. And, and a lot of organizations don't teach that effectively. No, because they just promote you to manager. Like right. I worked somewhere for a very short time and then they were like, here you go, you can run the store. And thankfully <laughs> I worked by myself. So I didn't have anybody to boss around, but I did, there was like another employee who would come in for like a couple of hours yeah. and because she didn't like to wake up early and every day I'd come into work the next day and there would be food on the floor and ants mm. everywhere. And it was like so frustrating and she knew better than to do that. Right. But I didn't, I didn't you know, boss her around because I didn't really feel like that was my job. Like it wasn't my position, mm-hmm. but direction is, it is totally cool and fine because in my 
line of work that literally will tell you what to do all the time because mm -hmm. that's what a director's job is. Mm -hmm. But managers don't approach it the same way. They're like, some of them have been there for so long, they just think that they know everything. And some of them, like you said, are inexperienced and they need to learn. But yeah, direction is totally cool. And I love that you call your, um, your like job interviews auditions. I think that's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't make that up, but the, uh, the, the idea essentially is that you're, you're going to actually put somebody into a role and see how they perform in that role. And that tends to be a much more accurate way to assess talent than sitting down in an interview and talking about your ability to do some sort of task. And, you know, uh, I think the statistic is that 81% of people lie in interviews, <laughs> which is, I mean, you know, it makes sense, right? I mean, virtually everybody has lied at, or at least exaggerated their skills in an interview. And, you know, you're putting somebody in a position in, in, in that case that they, they, they feel like they need to in order to effectively, you know, get the job that they're, they're looking for, where when you do an audition style interview and, or a work sample test is another example, or a training program is another example, you're, you're changing that dynamic. You're now giving someone the opportunity to just show you what they're capable of in a really concrete way. And we can make much better decisions that way. And we can also broaden the, the, um, the, the group of people that we can offer opportunities to, because we're not looking at some sort of like arbitrary things on a resume uh, to, to gauge talent. We're able to do it in a, a much more nuanced approach. Training programs, I don't really agree with them because it's like you work for three days and they don't pay you anything. Mm. And I think that would be a specifically, uh, especially detrimental to somebody who's like going to work, like what you do to, to like earn self-worth, like mm -hmm. being told like you're not, your work is not important enough to be paid for is just like ridiculous. Like you were talking about your brother when he, he went to an adult school, like I think, mm -hmm. and like once or twice a week they would go somewhere and like clean off cutlery that's free yeah. labor and you have mm -hmm. no intention of of hiring anybody yeah yeah i mean and and a lot of that happens because you know these organizations that are, are meant to support uh, adults with autism are are simply trying to get people in the door and they're doing it in a way that there it's essentially a, a very charity based uh, message, right? Like, Hey, this person, these people need employment. They need to do something. Can you, you know, find it in your heart to let them come by and do some random things at your workplace for, for a couple hours a week. I, honestly, like that's, that's the pitch. A lot of the times, Hey, you don't have to pay them. We'll pay them in some cases or, or you know, whatever, you know, I'll be there to, to help make sure it goes right. And, and I think the intentions there are usually really good. But the message that that sends to the employer is that like this person has no value. Like this is why would I then go and hire these these team members that need a teacher or a job coach to stand right there with them to make sure it's working and that are willing to do, you know, whatever just because they have no other options. And and that, you know, that's a it's not true. There's a ton of value these team members bring. We, we prove it every day in our business, but there's a lot of other businesses that that are also seeing that value. And, and I think we really, you know, our, our community-based, you know, or organizations that are trying to, to find employment for people really need to try to, 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 to send a much different message that, hey, I'm, I'm, I have an opportunity for you to really get 
awesome talent for your organization, really differentiate yourself and I'll help you. But you know, that's not, unfortunately, that's not necessarily the message that gets, gets across all the time. Um, so I read in your book about how you think it's important for, you know, customers to have like a really great experience and you have customers that are renting cars just to come <laughs> check out this car wash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had, we've had people over the years literally come in just to want to see it that they, you know, maybe they have a loved one with autism or maybe they were coming into the area just for a vacation, but then like they actually wanted to drive, you know, 15, 30 minutes out outside of the, the tourist areas to come to our stores because it's, it's a message that's really inspired them and they want to want to see it in action. And that's always really cool when we see that. And I heard a lot of them come and ask specifically to people, are you Andrew? Like yeah. That's so, that's adorable. A Andrew is a, is certainly a local celebrity and he, yeah, <laughs> uh, there's, it's funny. Um, my wife at that time, she was my girlfriend. She came by and she was just like coming out of the car wash and she's waving to Andrew saying hello. And Andrew doesn't, doesn't like really see her right away. Just sees a person waving and he just like gives it, gives him, gives her the Royal wave and is like, Hey, there's another one of my fans. And you know, that was, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> my wife, Megan was like, uh, Andrew, it's me. He's like, Oh, Hey, hi Meg. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> I read that in the book too. And I thought that was so, it's, it's so sweet because people who get like quote unquote famous, they get really jaded. Some <laughs> of them, not all, but it sounds like he just doesn't have that like in him. And he's just like, Oh, I just, everyone loves me. And I just love them right back. He's, he's the purest of souls. Oh, it, it seems like you guys are really close. Like I read that yeah. you weren't previously. And then mm -hmm. I, through building this business, you guys became really, really close. Yeah. And you think he's going to live with you one day? Yeah, most likely. I mean, he may opt to live independently. He certainly could. He doesn't, not very interested in that at this point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know my, you, you, you wrote it. My parents, they cook, they do this, they do yeah. that. Why would you want to move out? It's the truth. My parents tried to get him a, an apartment a few years ago, and he's like, "No, no. like, I, he's like, well, I've, been, I've been good. Like, I don't want, I don't want to move out." <laughs> no, of course yeah. not. He, I like, why? I, like, I, right. I don't, I don't like being like in a house by myself either. I don't like yeah. it. It's just the feeling is not for you know, sure. It's too quiet, so I don't blame him. This is not certainly not something that's only applicable to people who have totally. Autism. Like, and I mean, that's that's the broader truth is that you know people with autism have the same needs as everybody else. They just, in some cases, they're more parent. And from an organizational perspective, that makes it easier for us to solve for them because we can see them so much more readily when, you know, a typical employee might just sweep something under the rug, not really tell you about it, just kind of soldier through like less than ideal circumstances. Our team shows us when there's a problem and when we work together to fix it. And that's made a huge difference over the years in our business. Well, it must've, because you went from one location that was previously like failing and now you have three and all of them are thriving. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, our first location, we bought it, it was washing like 35,000 cars a year. And now that one washes over 170,000 cars a year. And the other two locations are just as successful. And we're just going to continue to grow it. And we really think we've got a model here that, that, that can, can really be, be, be scaled. Which is interesting considering when you went to experts in the beginning, they told you that you were crazy to try mm -hmm. and do this. Yeah. I mean, they had a, a, a much different perspective, you know, a clinical perspective, perspective, a lot of times of, of, of 
children with autism in a classroom. And, you know, we weren't going to let that stop us. Maybe in their context, they were, they were right, or maybe they weren't. Who are, who are we to judge? But certainly we were going to try these things out, like try to do, make this happen no matter what, and then see, you know, see for ourselves. And, and what we learned was that a lot of those stereotypes were wrong. Our employees certainly wanted to, to work with other people. They wanted to be part of a team. They wanted to have social interactions, just like everybody else. They just wanted to do that with peers that were like them. And we were providing that. Uh, I mean, over and over, our employees have really defied a lot of these expectations. Uh, you know, you would think that people with autism wouldn't be great necessarily at like greeting customers or like uh, giving, giving customer service. Some of our team members with autism are the best employees that we have at doing those things. Uh, we have to often provide them with scripts. We have to often provide them with, with uh, uh, maybe more clear ways to handle certain si social situations. But when we do that, they do great and they're you know, happy to do it. And, and that is also kind of rare in a, in a service environment that you, you, you're working with people that are obviously happy to be there and obviously want to help the customers. I think going to any place and seeing that the employees are happy will make you want to go back like time and time again. So you're definitely on to something with that. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned that, you know, statistically people with autism don't work well together, like in groups or whatever. But then you also mentioned that you had like a, a wonderful employee who was like really good and she loved working with other people mm -hmm. and that they started to learn from her. That's right. All the time. And that that's happened time and time again. I mean, the peer mentorship that, that happens is a, on a daily basis. Um, it's really, yeah, you have to, you have to do things, you know, the broader truth is that you have to really try and do things and not let the research just dictate. Sometimes you just have to go out and, and really prototype it because uh, contextually it's maybe very different than the, the situation where that, that, you know, research or that thing that you read was created. I think research, again, can be dangerous just in terms of society as a whole, because they like to put people in categories, whether or not you mm -hmm. have a condition, because it's just, I don't know. I find, like you mentioned, you didn't want your brother to go into something that's institutionalized. Again, the whole education system is an institution and they want you, they want you to do like very specific, choose very specific careers. Like you're like 16 and they're giving you these college books and they're telling you which, what things are right for you and what things are not right for you. And I think that's so dangerous because so many kids, like, for example, I, at one point I was like, okay, I'm going to go into journalism because I didn't know what else to say. Right. And I'm good at writing and stuff. So they sent me for a co-op, like it's a program where you go work in a business. They sent me to work in a library. And I was like, this has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm interested in. You have to be quiet. And I'm, you know, I'm not like a quiet person. And it didn't work out. I ended up getting fired from that, which I think is ridiculous to fire a, a non-paid student who's really <laughs> trying to like learn your library, but it's, it's just, it's not resonating with them. And then they put me in retail, which is also way off hmm. from what I, what I wanted to do at the time. And then... I ended up choosing to go into acting, which I should have just chosen in the first place because it's always been my passion. And then I had teachers reaching out to me over like Instagram and Facebook to tell me I was joining a cult. So institutions are the worst for anyone who thinks outside of like this little box. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. I think, um, to build an educational system that works for everybody. That's why I, I, some of these alternative schools have, have really, I think, taken off over the years, these, these different, um, more like user-centered uh, approaches, more experiential learning approaches. I think there's definitely something to it. Yeah. I, like you mean like schools that teach people like how to do skilled trades and stuff? Like yeah, in well, high school? I mean, a- absolutely. I think there's there's an there's an awesome uh, opportunity for for trade school for a lot of people. But I I, I was talking more about there's um, these like experiential schools that are like their their curriculum is so. For instance, like if you're learning environmental science, that you you end up you go out into the into the field and and like you're you're keep being taught you know through you know collecting some sort of plant or or animal or something like that and. I've gotten a chance to just kind of see some of those schools in action and, and the, like the level of interest that students have in that, in that, um, that type of learning is just dramatically more than learning about it in a textbook. So, um, yeah. Some people actually can't learn from a textbook. Like they, they'll read it a hundred times and, and they just, you can't learn it. Like it's not, it's definitely not for everyone. It's, I, I have not heard of this type of school probably because I'm not in school anymore, but it sounds kind of like a co-op, but that you choose mm-hmm. it and you, yeah. would, you would choose it and you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Have I mean, you... I, I've yeah. just, I, I volunteered at one when I was in college for a little while uh, and I, I thought it was really cool. And um, I just, you know, I, I like to learn. That's something that, that I enjoy doing. So like I, I read about it, like lots of random things and uh, the, the, like you said, the, the school system traditionally is based on like the system of, of rewards and trying to kind of shape behavior to, to make everybody work in a similar way. And it just, uh, for the most part, doesn't serve the students that the way that they, it, the way that the people who are the teachers want um, their students to be served. And, you know, I mean, there's always room for, for disruption, especially in a big institutional system like that. So I like I like to learn about those alternative approaches. I think the the problem with institutionalizing is that they think everyone is the same. We're all going to learn the same way and it really doesn't it doesn't work. And like I was I feel like it's dangerous again because when I was in school, I was taking this class. It was like a travel and tourism class. And for some reason, teachers started teaching us like history. I don't know why. <laughs> And it was like, we were learning about Troy, like the city of Troy, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I put my hand up and I was like, oh, I just have a question. Is that still there, the this Trojan horse? And he said, no. And I said, well, is there any evidence to suggest that it was ever actually there? And he was like, no. And I said, then how do you know that it was ever there? And instead of saying to me, I don't know how to answer your question. He was like, go to the office. So I did. And the, the principal's like, why are you here? And I'm like, well, I asked the question. And he's like, okay, Mm. let me call upstairs. And then he says to me, okay, you can go back to class, but don't ask any more questions. So you don't want me to learn. Like you, you want me to Mm. just, to just receive information and not question what I'm receiving. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, unfortunate. But it is unfortunate, but I feel like people with autism might have similar sort of questions, not because it's a dumb question. I don't think it is a dumb question. I think it's just curiosity and not like not totally understanding the information that you're, you're being given and and to write it off as stupidity i just it doesn't make any sense to me yeah no I, I, you're you're 100 right there i i kind of wish i could go hang out at your car wash for a day because <laughs> i feel like i would learn so so much from 
these people, like they're beautiful people. Like I see the videos, your brother literally glowing, like with happiness, probably with pride. Yeah. And, and he loves and the like, camera. So whatever you see him on camera, he's pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever considered letting him take an acting class someday if he loves cameras so much? I haven't, you know, it's a good question. I'd have to bring that up to him. He's never voiced any interest, but maybe. Maybe he doesn't know that it's Yeah, yeah, exactly. Possible. For and sure. I actually I actually think that kind of representation in film and television doesn't really exist. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, um, it's interesting to see. I don't know if you if you watch like Atypical or any of the like autism related shows that are coming out now, like the good doctor and. Uh, oh yes. I love that. Yeah. Show. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, they're, 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 they're interesting shows. They, they highlight definitely a certain portion of the autism spectrum really well. It would be cool. It definitely be cool to get, uh, you know, Andrew, who's kind of more, um, more in the middle of the autism spectrum, you know, so to speak, he's got a little bit of an intellectual disability. He's got very, very mild behavioral issues. And, but he, um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have like a IQ of 160. He's also, you know, it's not like he's nonverbal and can't, can't like be out in the community. Um, so yeah, it'd be cool to get that type of uh, perspective and, you know, more people kind of seeing that for sure. The good doctor does set a beautiful example, but again, Freddie Highmore doesn't have autism. Mm, right. So it's, it's just an actor like me who's being trained to behave a certain way and anyone can learn how to behave a certain way if they're you know given the right teacher mm. and i think it would be interesting to see somebody who actually has it like performing as such yeah. like i said I, as somebody that i know has asperger's and he speaks all these languages and he's like probably a lot smarter than me but he also has a very short fuse and it's like one minute you're having a conversation and mm. then you disagree with him and he's exploding on you so that's right. That, that needs to be like shown like you can be super smart and be neurodivergent one yeah. of my friends is a teacher she's neurodivergent she has adhd really bad and she deals with a lot of uh, students with autism and she loves her job but that's yeah. why i think i think people like your brother should who if they love cameras and who can recite lines like this should certainly be afforded the opportunity to per perform it would be more difficult, but not any more difficult than working with somebody who has like Down syndrome. And I've seen that in plenty of right. films. Right. So, I mean, an interesting I think- Interesting idea. I'll have, to, I'll have to bring it up to him. I can't say I've like ever a, thought about it. Big celebrity, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he could be teaching people so many things about about people who are like him, about their, like there's no, I hate the word limitations. Mm. They put- limitations on all of us really like i read your story about when you went to college that you went to like a b college or whatever like not a super prestigious college that's a limitation why shouldn't you be allowed to go to the super smart school because clearly you have something because you wouldn't be able to run three businesses that you built from nothing if you didn't have like major sure. intelligence yeah. do you do you like this like field that you're in yeah i, I honestly it's you know i, I don't think I think if you would have asked me when I was like 18 years old, if I was going to be, you know, happy running car washes, employing people with autism, I would have looked at you like you were nuts. Um, <laughs> but no, I really do. I mean, I love, I love the process of improving the business, solving problems. You know, every day there's, there's generally some, some sort of new or, or, or thing, you know, new problem that we're seeing or some problem that we're trying to solve, some ongoing improvement project that we're doing. 
I really love that. I really love that, that process of, of building something. So yeah, I mean, I, I wake up every day and I'm really excited to go to work. And I don't think, unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't, don't get to have that experience. So I feel very privileged. I think my favorite part of your story, not your brother's, just your story is that your dad believed in you doing this yeah. before you did. Absolutely. And now look like that's, that's really beautiful. Like a lot of dads don't see like their kids for that. They can do something that they're not thinking of doing and even something that they are thinking about doing. They're like, well, I don't know. And your dad was like, Oh, I'll invest up to a million dollars in this. And like that had to feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad is so dedicated to helping both of his sons really meet their potential. And I mean, it's, he, I couldn't ask for a better role model. He's, been been such an incredible influence in my life totally the reason why i'm i'm at where i am today and certainly the same goes for for my brother andrew and you know um yeah i mean i i you know when people ask like how did you get to where you are truth is a lot of it is i just so so blessed to have wonderful parents come from a, a wonderful family and uh you know just trying to do something good with with those blessings. It's safe to say your dad is your hero, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And your My brother, greatest. I think too. Absolutely. I mean, those, those are the two people along with my mom probably have had more influence on me than anybody else in the world. I mean, I think that should always be the case that your family has the most influence on you, especially from a young age. Sure. But then you get people like me who were like, well, my first hero was uh, this guy. And people are like, who's that? <laughs> I, I just think this is so this whole story just really touched my heart. I, I got it at really late at night and still read it really. <laughs> thankfully, I can read pretty fast. So what are you hoping is going to be like ne the next big thing that you guys do at Rising Tide? Yeah. Um, well, so the book just launched uh, on January 24th. Uh, so I'm honestly in, in a place right now where we're just trying to get through the whirlwind of that experience. Uh and as we, you know, I think as we, as we think about our next steps, it's, it really goes back to how can we have the most impact? And our opinion right now is that doing that is, is through opening more car washes because having this really great example of a business that's really successful because of it's empowering people with autism is, is probably the most effective way that we can get other people to copy us through our own, you know, our own growth. I was going to say that you wrote the book with the intention of getting more businesses to do what yeah. you're doing. Um, are you like assisting any other businesses at the moment to like kind of build what you're building? Um, so, so like we've tried to do like direct training and, and uh, consulting, but, but truthfully, since we're like really focused on building our, our own organization and, uh, there's only so much bandwidth. That's really why I wanted to write a book, why we have an online course uh, called The Autism Advantage that, that we wrote, that we did in partnership with University of Miami in 2017. Um, so trying to kind of focus more on, on producing these like educational products as a way to, to, to help others in, instead of like the direct consulting and training, just so we can uh, like we can still focus on our business, but we can also effectively share what we're learning. Yeah, I did see a link for the website. I didn't yeah. get a chance to check it out. That's but okay. 
Is it a free tool? Like if people are listening and are interested in that, is it a free tool? The course, the co- so the course is normally paid, but if you purchase the book, it's free with every purchase of the book. And where do you have to purchase the book to do that? Um, so you just, you purchase it anywhere and then you just send your receipt to book at risingtidecarwash.com and we'll take care of you. Oh, wow. That's really, that's really cool. Like that's really, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a good book. Like I, I'm not business savvy. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I have no interest in starting a business. <laughs> no, thank you. But I do feel like I learned a lot, a lot from it. Like even just about myself, when you're saying things like, you know, people are not one size fits all. And, and it, I think that's so important just in yeah. general. I think, you know, you should maybe make, you should make this into a film eventually because it's definitely, it has a powerful message. Like it really does. Everything That's goes what back my to film with keeps me. saying, yeah. That, <laughs> see, he's smart. <laughs> well, did you find it hard writing the book? Well, I had help. Sarah, the the other name <laughs> on the the cover of the book is Sarah Grace, and she was she's my writer. I you know I tried to I tried to do some writing myself early on, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> so so I I needed help, but but you know she's the reason why I think people will actually enjoy reading this book. No, it's it, it's it's the book itself just has the message is just really profound. And I also like the pictures of like the little, Mm -hmm. all the employees that you have there and their names and their, they have like their characteristics or whatever that they like Mm -hmm. about themselves. That, that must've been your idea. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we have those like little, the little slides, um, those run through like our, on the TVs at our store. So like the customers kind of get to know our employees. So it was like a cool way to kind of factor that into the book too. That's really, yeah, I love yeah. that. I feel like I should go there and go to the car. If you're ever in Broward County, Florida, come on down. Is that closer to Miami or Tampa? It's closer to Miami. We're uh, 45 minutes or so north of Miami. So you're a Dolphins fan? No, I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, congratulations on the two times that you beat my quarterback. Yep. <laughs> Everyone's so proud of that. Oh, well, we beat him twice. And I'm like, the guy who beat him twice is retired leave me alone well you can't really compare eli and tom but we had his no, number I, I i like eli i think he's he does a lot of really good things for the world like which yeah he's but really I didn't funny like he's him. awesome on social media <laughs> he has like a show with his brother yeah i think it's i can't remember what it's called i don't know it just it pops up during the middle of football manning cast that's it and yeah. and i used to not like eli for obvious reasons but after he retired and I got to see his personality, I yeah. was like, oh, this guy's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the Giants just, when I was in New York, there was like Jets stuff and Giants stuff. And I was like, of the two teams, I wouldn't be buying Jets. Like, leave it there. Well, Why Giants fan? Now I'm curious. Um, It's actually kind of, so one of my close family friends is a big Giants fan. He got me into it, but I was, um. I, was, I really loved University of Miami, like when they were dominant in like the early 2000s, late 1990s. And I loved Jeremy Shockey. He was like my favorite player on, on University of Miami. And then he got uh, he got drafted by the Giants. So that made me like start to follow the NFL and kind of rest his history became like a diehard Giants fan from there. See, I'm like a diehard Tom fan and I'll just go wherever he goes. And my friends are like, that's bandwagoning. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you don't understand. Actually, Tom is a really good example of, of great leadership because no matter if the team wins or loses, he will always go out there and say like, this is a team sport. Like it's just as much my fault as your fault. But I 
don't think Tom's going to play for much longer. I think one more year. Like, I hope. He's an old man at this point. It's he's wild that old. he's still playing. He's you very old for a quarterback. Is old? Very old yeah, for a quarterback. It is sure. ancient. But to be fair, he's in, like, better shape than some of these 20-year-olds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's in better shape now than he was when he was in his 20s. And, and he's, he's actually he's incredible, but he's a great person too, but you're cool. And your book's cool. And I really, I, I want to go to this car wash. I feel like I would stay there all day and just talk to everybody because I'm so chatty. Come on down. <laughs> Where are the other locations? So they're both in the, all three of them are in Broward County. One is in Parkland, Florida. One is in Margate, Florida, and one is in Coral Springs, Florida. Okay. So it's, it's pretty localized. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're all like within like five miles of each other. So which one does Andrew work at? <laughs> he works at both our Parkland and Margate stores, depending on the oh, day. Oh, wow. Week. Yeah, we, 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 he moves around. You rotate him because yeah, yeah, we want the so team much? To, yeah, we want the team to like, all know Andrew. That's really sweet. And how does yeah. he feel about all this? Like knowing that you put all this work, or does he know? No, he knows. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he takes a lot of pride in being the inspiration for the business. He, he really I thought does. maybe he didn't tell him. <laughs> no, no, no. He, for sure. I mean, he, he was, you know, part of writing the book. Um, he also like whenever we like do team events and stuff, he's always like front and center. He's like a huge part of the business and uh, takes a lot of pride in that for sure. And that's probably all you and your dad could ask for when you went Absolutely. into this business is that he would find sort of his place in the world. Absolutely. And I think you must be really proud of him now. So proud of him. It's, you know, it's amazing to see, the, per, the, the person he's become since, since doing this business, he's so much more confident so much more willing to, you know, interact with, with people and, and want to interact with people. And we're so much closer. It's really brought us together in, 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 in a way that, you know, I don't think would have otherwise been possible. Maybe if you want to sell more books, you should get him to sign them since people yeah. love him so much. Like yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just... You're right. <laughs> it's just an idea. So the book is available pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Anywhere you Amazon. can buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, if you go to our website, risingtidecarwash.com, there's a page on it that has like all the different links where it can be purchased. Uh, uh, but pretty, pretty much anywhere you can buy books. Pretty much The, the audible version books. I read. So if you want to listen to my voice more, <laughs> you can. You oh, can, it's a audiobook. Yeah. There's an audiobook too. I don't like audiobooks. No. Not because of you, because when I was in high school, I had to read this book. Uh, was it? I can't. Oh, it's Lord of the Flies. Uh huh. Have you read it? I did read it. I don't remember too much about it. It's so bad. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to go to the library. I'm going to get book on tape. So I went, I played it. And then that it started reading it to me. And I was like, this is taking too much time. So I ended up reading the whole book in one night because I just wanted it to go away not realizing that when I went to school the next day, they were going to read parts of it. So for like three weeks I had to, and the teacher was like, don't put up your hand for questions. Don't because you read it. And I was like, but, but like, it was, it was terrible. So that's why I don't like audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I really enjoyed the book and I really want like people who listen to this show who typically are, you know, people who are interested in arts and entertainment to read it because I think that they'll learn a lot about their self self-worth and I think that you really did write something that applies not only to people with autism but just people in general since we all question our 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 value all the time and yeah Thanks, it's really, I appreciate that it's really beautiful what you did and Thank you. I, I couldn't say no to having you on the show because your name is Tom and <laughs> I, it's been my experience that people whose names are Tom are generally very nice so 
Well, I hope I lived up to that. You did. And thank you for joining me. And I'm sorry that I'm so chatty. That's okay. <laughs> That's I'm the point. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I really just don't shut up. It's like <laughs> I have other actors on and then it just keeps going for, I had a friend on and we it turned into a two and a half hour podcast. And I was like, this is longer than some movies. And I couldn't cut it down. <laughs> Sweet. Do you have social media so I can tag you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rising Tide Car Wash. Uh, so at okay. Rising Tide Car Wash on Instagram and then it, facebook.com slash rising tide car wash so you don't have twitter we do have twitter so rising tide wash on twitter okay you guys are your whole organization everyone that i've seen now that you've told me there's on the website i can go see all the employees yeah so Mm -hmm. that's very exciting and i can't wait thank you again thanks melanie have a wonderful day have a wonderful day so as you heard throughout this this these people are doing amazing things for others so i just want to applaud them (laughs) like so much applause other than that, we mentioned that uh, anyone who purchases the power of potential will get free access to, um, there's like a course on the website, on the Rising Tide Car Wash website to help people who are trying to grow businesses that will employ people with autism. So if you're listening to this and this kind of hits home, I highly encourage you to purchase the book, which you can get anywhere that you buy books, which is a bonus and super easy to find, right? or also on Audible if you want to hear Tom read it to you. Um, and then you can get that course for free and maybe you can start your own social enterprise that employs people with autism, which I think is a really good idea and a beautiful one. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed the chat. It was a lot of fun. As I said, this is not what I normally talk about. I'm normally here talking about arts and entertainment or football. <laughs> so those are like kind of my expertise. But it's really cool to talk to people who have expertise outside of yours. And it's really cool to listen to them as well because you just learned so much. So I hope you guys learned a lot. Hopefully next week I'll have that guest that you guys are all asking for. We're working on it. She's just very busy. However, if she's not here, I'll be back with my favorite seasons part two, which will just be me predicting the Super Bowl, complaining about how the people I wanted in the Super Bowl are not going to be in the Super Bowl, and bitching about Oscar nominations. So, <laughs> so make sure you tune in for that. Um, I just want to say a big thank you to my sponsors. First and foremost, the TV12 Method, who has no idea that they're sponsoring me. I just love them so much. I kind of mention them every week. Um, Huxwear, which is the moisture-wicking, camel-toe-eliminating underwear, available for women only. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Uh, you can check them out on Instagram at Huxware, H-U-X-W-E-A-R. Also, big shout out to the OG sponsors, Michael Solberg Family Wines, which you can find on michaelsolbergfamilywines.com or on their Instagram, Michael Solberg Family Wines, available anywhere in the United States. And last but not least, Eatable. Nobody actually has to pay me to mention Eatable. Their popcorn is so good. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> It is alcohol-infused popcorn, which means it has the flavor of your favorite alcohol without any of the repercussions. So check them out on Instagram at E-A-T-A-B-L-E-I-N-C, Eatable Inc. You will not regret You will thank me for it. (laughs) You really will. It's delicious. So I think that's it for me this week, just with the thing. Excuse me, I had to do that. But I don't think you need to hear any more of it. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Also, I want to say if you have any guests or topics that you would like to hear me talk about or talk to, and if it's a guest, uh, hit me up on Twitter at a blonde who talks, A-B-L-O-N-D-E-W-H-O-T-A-L-K-S. And I will do my best to talk about those subjects. 
and have your guests uh, come on the show. I enjoy talking to guests of all different, you know, walks of life. So there's nobody who's off limits for me. Uh, so I think that's it. I think I'm done rambling, especially with the fact that I have congestion. Like you wouldn't believe. I have more congestion in my nose than New York does during traffic hour, which is pretty much all the time if you're in New York. <laughs> okay. So that's it for me. I'm signing off. Enjoy some Taylor Swift uh, on the way out because I just felt like this was the best song to start man the episode with for some reason. I don't know why. Not everything I do can be rationalized. Um, bye. Diamonds in my